Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. If you're just tuning in for the first time, we release our podcast in three different formats. We have a 10-minute lesson series where the aim is to educate and inform within that 10-minute framework on particular areas of policy. We also have our seminar series where we provide the opportunity to listen back to presentations we've had at past events. And then we have our interview series where we speak to experts again across a really wide range of policy issues. So this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Barrington. She's an engineer, a data scientist and a graduate researcher at UC Berkeley School of Information. She chats with me about blockchain technologies, how that evolved into a cryptocurrency, what non-fungible tokens or NFTs are, and the regulation or lack of in this space and what the future may hold. We really hope you enjoy it. I look forward to every interview I do, but this one really, I'm really interested in this because my gut is we begin with the underlying technology, blockchain technology. Mm. Can you even attempt to give us an idiot's guide to what is blockchain technology, please? <laughs> well, no, firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, I, I really, uh, I guess my research has been, um, I've been looking into the crypto and blockchain space for a while. Um, but I've, you know, I haven't always worked in finance or in whatever this crypto space is. I was an engineer. Um, and then I was doing various other jobs in data. Um, but when I so, so when I come to looking at blockchain and cryptocurrency, I do believe I have this kind of outsider's view. Mm. And I hope to be able to give a kind of softer introduction to what it is, because I'm fed up of hearing uh, YouTube videos and, um, I don't know, speeches from people at events where it's just, you know, the words decentralized and blockchain and ledger. And I just switch off immediately. So the way I think about blockchain is it's just a new way of storing data, but in a really robust way, because the problem with how we store data at the moment is that it lives in one single location. So, for example, your bank um, will have a database that stores its user information and that's OK. Um, and yeah, sure, it might be a network of different computers, but it's all kind of still in one place under the ownership of that bank. But with blockchain, what you actually get is this huge public database that is supported by everyone who uses it. So you can think of it as one big Excel spreadsheet. Uh, I think that was the analogy that we really love, right, Suzanne? So in this spreadsheet, everyone can kind of see it and you can see in real time as people are editing it and adding to it. But the real benefit of having a blockchain that's organized in this way is that no single person can tamper with it. Because if I go in and tamper with that spreadsheet, everyone else is still seeing a copy. Like I can't delete it. so having that immutability is really, really important and quite powerful. I mean, again, from the little bit of reading I I was doing, it came about after the crash as a reaction to what, what had happened in mm. banking. So that it was, what the, the quote I have here is financial freedom through tech. So it yeah. was a move away from the banks. It was a move away. It was, as you said, it was that democratization of, of money that it was it was you and me we owned this but that's the bit then this is the bit where I really struggle is how does blockchain technology then make the leap into being considered or discussed as an asset class or a currency Mm. I understand money is what we agree money is 
If I go out now and crochet a thousand granny squares, I'm going to have a tough time to convince somebody that that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> but that's yeah. almost what blockchain is trying to do. So I've created this thing and I'm trying to convince people that it's a currency. And and that's the bit where I think I struggle with trying to, mm-hmm. how, how does it make the leap then into being considered something that's valuable? Yeah. And this is something that's, quite I think poorly understood generally it took me a while to wrap my head around this blockchain is separate from cryptocurrency blockchain is the technology that allows cryptocurrency to happen so blockchain is this like big let's call it a decentralized um, data storage thing where everyone can see what's happening with their data everyone can see kind of the latest transactions whatever but then in terms of the cryptocurrency Cryptocurrencies were actually given to people as a reward if they help to maintain the network. And these people are called miners. So you have, this is another word that gets thrown around all the time. Uh, A miner is effectively someone who has a very big computer that helps to make the network function and provides kind of the clever cryptographic algorithmic stuff behind the scenes that makes it what it is, makes it public and immutable and all those sorts of things. Now, with Bitcoin, which is the first example of blockchain that we really saw get popular, um, the Bitcoin blockchain gave Bitcoins to people who were miners. So it just gave them a, a Bitcoin if they sort of did a certain amount of work for the network and helped to support it. Now, where the confusion comes is that those Bitcoins began to have real world monetary value for no other reason than speculation. People started getting interested in Bitcoin. People started to earn Bitcoins and then they just became traders. So you could give someone a Bitcoin for, you know, real world money and they would give you real world money back because it had a perceived value. Right now, you know, real world money still dominates in terms of where you get value in in exchange for goods and services. You know, there are very few places and it is increasing, but there's very few places where you can give someone a Bitcoin and they will actually give you something of real world value back. Um, so it's almost comparable to any other currency in that if I think the US dollar has more value than it did yesterday, then you know I'm going to do some trading with my pounds, whatever. And that's exactly what people saw in Bitcoin. But the difference is Bitcoin on the other end isn't recognized or wasn't recognized by regulatory bodies. It wasn't protected. It was kind of this wild west. And that's the same for any cryptocurrency. So any of the other ones you might have heard of, so Ethereum and Ripple and um even the smaller ones like dogecoin you know it's all just based on the perceived value that the market assigns to it and right now they have very little utility i suppose that's kind of why the regulation space then is probably lacking because Mm -hmm. it's not if it's not recognized as an asset class or a currency so at the moment even to kind of quote here from the screen in front of me central bank of ireland has issued warnings in relation to crypto assets, there's currently no prohibition or ban on cryptocurrencies in Ireland. However, mm-hmm. Ireland has not implemented a bespoke financial regulatory regime for cryptocurrencies, and there are currently no plans to do so at a local level. Because I think trust trust is the key word, really, isn't it, when it comes to a currency? So I trust the banks when I look at my account, and I trust that they mind my money. And... I think the thing with crypto that, again, I find fascinating is I don't understand it, but 
But at the same time, I don't understand a pension plan. I don't understand derivatives, guilt, bonds, stock shares. I don't understand any of that. But mm-hmm. I trust the person who's looking after my pension. I trust that they do. Yeah. So when we talk about an investment space, and I'm aware as well that my pension is is regulated so that there's something mm-hmm. under cuts under that that protects it. And then if there's a conversation then about, well, is is crypto more gambling than investment? But again, that's regulated. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's unregulated, does that allow mm-hmm. for abuses to happen then? Well, I think we should take a step back and look at who actually uses cryptocurrency mm-hmm. because it's it's really important what you mentioned. I think the scenario you just described in which we can we place inherent trust in the banks managing our money is something that we take for granted. Like I grew up in England. I now live in, in the US and, you know, it is the status quo that we trust the banks to, you know, not run away with our money that we put in there that is rightfully ours. That can't be said for every nation in the world, right? And there's uh, really famous cases such as what happened in Venezuela, um, even in Brazil and uh, in Nigeria, there's been, you know, really sort of interesting uptake in cryptocurrencies because that trust isn't always there. And in Venezuela in particular, there's actually a, a state-launched cryptocurrency that's encouraged because there's just so much hyperinflation in the country and there's, you know, the complications with US sanctions, etc., the country actually wanted to start leaning on cryptocurrency more than their traditional currency because it was immune to all of those things that were being, um, I guess, they were kind of systemic, right? Like you can't escape them because they were happening in the bureaucracy and in the financial system. Um, and similarly, you know, people who want to send money home across borders, thats it's really something that we take for granted that we can move money around um in between bank accounts in, in the countries like the UK and the US. But in lots of countries, that's not the case, and especially when it comes to across borders. It's actually a lot easier just to send someone a Bitcoin because a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin anywhere in the world. So we have that side of things where actually cryptocurrencies are really useful for people and they do pose some utility. But on the other side, because of this, you know, a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin anywhere and also one of the properties of the network is it's anonymized because all of the transactions are kind of bundled up into this encryption algorithm. So we can look at where the money's moving, but we don't really know who the addresses are, who's receiving them. So because of that, there's anonymity, really hard word to say, which means that you get a lot of crime. Mm. So you get a lot of, um, there's a lot of cases of money laundering. There's a few cases of um, like terrorism funding, et cetera because you can move money easily across board. So all the reasons that I just described that were good for countries that are struggling with stability and, and bureaucracy um, can actually be used for bad as well. So you've got this kind of cybercrime division as well. On top of that, you've got the everyday people. So this is a user group who are, I guess, what you and I would fall into. So these are people who have heard of cryptocurrency. Maybe we're interested in it because we've heard, you know, there's some... I don't know, money to be made, or maybe there's a bit of a free lunch, but spoiler alert, there is no free lunch. Um, These are the people that kind of can pour their money and invest into this asset class that is really poorly understood. And especially from a technical level, we don't really know what we're buying other than the fact that the rest of the market values it at a certain price. And these people are probably the most susceptible to getting scammed out of their money. And that's what we're seeing in the multiple cases in FTX. We saw that in the the one coin mm. example that we've just been talking about previously as well. 
Um, so it can be it, it can be used in very different ways, cryptocurrency for different people, depending on the use case. Again, look at the stats earlier on today. Figures from August show that 10% of adults in Ireland hold crypto. It's down from 12% last year. That regulation space maybe is it needed if if this is going to be considered a, a, a or an asset a form of asset class I mean again you've kind of mentioned I suppose different countries around the world and, and where it's been taken up the usage in Ukraine has gone really high recently that's because as you said if a system that you trust breaks down yeah that you, you know you're able to replace it with this still really difficult to to think of it to be able to buy things with bitcoin yeah it is and there's a, a legitimacy problem as well like the the name bitcoin i think can send off a lot of bitcoin or cryptocurrency can mm. send off alarm bells um when you're thinking about you know that has got this name that's associated with cybercrime and um i guess crypto bro culture as well which isn't the most welcoming um there's a problem with you know adoption that also leads to um do you know are shops going to employ bitcoin as a accepted currency anytime soon i don't i personally don't see that happening in the next mm. two to five years that could be one of those recording snippets that in a year comes back to bite me <laughs> and everyone shares it on twitter and it's really embarrassing but let's <laughs> let's hope not i think i think what would be my my ideal currency situation would be to solve and, and this is a complete hypothetical but it would be to solve the fundamental issues that are breaking the systems that are causing people to lose trust. Um, so, you know, do I see the UK, for example, moving to Bitcoin as a, an accepted primary currency? No, but I think that's because there's not a huge issue with trust in centralized institutions and banks at the moment. But that can't be said for other countries, as we've discussed. I think the thing that probably worries regulators a lot is the fraud aspect. Because this is another technology where it's just very hard to get your head around and it's poorly understood by the general public, which is usually when you start to see kind of bad people come in and capitalize on that and just try and take money from, from good people. And we've seen countless examples of this. And I just mentioned FTX, but I'm sure everyone listening knows what happened with this. But this was a very famous cryptocurrency that just very recently crashed because it was effectively putting all of its... Uh, um, uses collateral into its own, you know, cryptocurrency token that actually had no real value in the world, um, just perceived value, and it crashed and everyone lost their money. But these are the examples where regulators do need to be ahead because you can see them unfolding in front of you. you know, there were a lot of red flags with FTX. For example, they didn't actually have an official accounting department. So that's the kind of thing where we don't need to be regulating the, we didn't need to be regulating the FTX token. Like that's a very niche very specific thing and I can't comment on like economic regulation of like a particular coin or currency but we could have been regulating the company to at least have you know the basic things in place that you you'd expect from any other bank and I've, I've been reading up about regulation around the world and again I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not great at the regulation side but I can see there are kind of trends that are happening where some countries are considering it legal tender some countries aren't, but they're still recognizing that I think like the UK, you still have to register with the FCA if you want to be doing business. And then you've got China who, you know, are taking it very seriously. They banned all cryptocurrencies in 2021 um, and they're working to release their own, or at least that's what's reported. So there's like different views around the world, but no one has settled on a kind of best in class. Here's how we should get ahead of it.
That's yeah, it's interesting. Because I, I was at a Central Bank of Ireland two-day conference recently, and they did have mm. speakers there from cryptocurrency. So mm. there was space made for them there. The conversation seemed to be more about sort of Ireland as a as a as an innovative hub, as a technical hub, mm-hmm. as a as, you know place to do cutting edge business, which is fine as you said. Once, but again, it goes back to that sort of that trust element, I think. And just when, when you were talking about FTX, thinking of other acronyms and stuff like that, is NFTs, which again mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure I really <laughs> get under. So I I understand it. It stands for non fungible token. Yeah. Um, and that's about as much as I can get my head round. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Let's see you work These your are, magic with this now. <laughs> there, there's so there's so many acronyms in this space, and it mm. really isn't isn't the most welcoming, friendly space to get your head into. Um, NFTs, the key word being fungible, and this is only a word I learned as I started working in this space. Mm. Fungible just means something has the same value, even if it's not the exact same object. Obvious example of this is if I hand you a US dollar and you go and spend it, and then you give me another US dollar, it's not the same piece of paper, but it has the same value. That's what fungibility means. And and all, you know, state currencies are fungible in that way. Now, non-fungible tokens are ways of doing all of this kind of cryptocurrency stuff, but the tokens are unique. So if I give you one, it's not interchangeable with another. And what that manifests as is sort of more complicated cryptocurrencies. It's kind of like these tokens that have their own um, identity. So they're basically artworks that um, will you can I guess trade and sell but they are artworks in themselves and although they have a monetary value attached to them they have a unique token ID they have a unique kind of picture or video associated with them and all of their data is stored on a blockchain which means everyone can see who owns it and it kind of it presents this really optimistic picture of a world in which now creating content is moving so fast into the digital realm and online, you know, creators should be able to create something and show proof of ownership and show authenticity. Um, And it literally protects against like screenshots. So if, for example, you um, uh, made an NFT tomorrow and it was just a painting that you painted and you took a picture of it, you put it online, but you said, by the way, I made this. So if you see a screenshot anywhere else, you can check the blockchain. You can see I made the original. And you can also see who I sold it to for how much. And it's like that level of rigor has existed in the traditional art world for a long time. Um, or at least it's in many cases it has. And then to now be able to move that to the digital realm is just super powerful. It's a great way to reward artists and creators. The issue is the implementation of that has been a lot more tricky um, than it sounds in the ideal world. And uh, a recent piece of research that I've been looking at effectively proved that in the case of Ethereum, which is a very popular blockchain, probably the second biggest one to uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. In the case of Ethereum NFTs, a particular popular standard of them called ERC721, 75% of the, the artworks are not directly stored on the blockchain which means when you dig into the details of each token, you see they actually point to a traditional website and the asset actually lives in a traditional location. So it's actually kind of not that different to me just uploading a JPEG file to a website and saying, that's mine. But then, you know, it's not protected in the same way because people can copy it, people can screenshot it. There's no proof of when it was created. So they've had a lot of problems with their implementation that are quite worrying. And 
I think Suzanne, you will have seen like so much hype around them. Um, it's brilliant that we're talking this morning because the former president Donald Trump just released uh, a set of NFTs kind of in the last uh, three or four days. I ran them through our methodology for looking at where they're stored and they're stored on the private website. So if the if the owner of um, whatever it is, TrumpNFTs.com, I can't remember the name, but if they decide to take that image down, then actually the NFT becomes, you know, arguably valueless because the artworks disappeared. Uh, so all sorts of problems with NFTs as well. Because <laughs> I, I could see a shift, say, over, you know, over the last couple of decades to how we consume media. It's that that's the thing I kind of find funny. So like each of those Trump NFTs is a is a what a hundred dollars ninety nine dollars to get a picture mm. of Trump dressed as Superman or as a cowboy <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, horses for courses and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's weird because we've we've moved we seem to have moved away from paying for digital content. So we no longer buy music, you know, mm. in CD or a vinyl format. We no longer buy well we'll say no longer we still do but not in the same way we used to how you know newspapers watching the telly going out and buying a dvd or a video going out and Mm -hmm. buying a book so we now like to be able to consume a lot of our media online and we don't like to pay for it and that's why i think it's quite strange then that all of a sudden this this intangible thing that as you said yeah you own a bunch of code that somebody is quite happy to pay a hundred dollars for a bit of code that equates to yeah. I just think it's really strange. That's a really good observation. And it's it's a really positive thing because frankly, the era of getting content online for free is not it was not sustainable. And it shouldn't be. Like, you know, artists and or in my opinion, it shouldn't be artists and creators are putting so much effort into their content just to have it kind of, you know, easily um stolen or copied or whatever because there's no protections in place for these pieces of art in the digital realm whereas in in the real world you know there's one Mona Lisa and everyone knows where it lives and there's no debate about that like sure you can go paint your own which is the equivalent of a screenshot but or just print it off but everyone knows you know look online like it it lives in the Louvre there's no question about it and so I think it's time that creators were rewarded for their efforts in this sense and uh, it is a really funny observation you make though that people are because you know the highest selling NFT went for 90 million dollars mm. one of the biggest NFT cases uh, the Beeple NFT went for 69 million dollars effectively for a piece of you know digital art that's kind of it's a lot to get your head around but I think there'll probably be a a correction a self-correction in the market where these things start to go for a price that's somewhere in the middle of those <laughs> like not free but also not 90 million dollars <laughs> yeah and I suppose that's probably my my final question because you know to go back to what you were saying about in the next kind of three to five years what your predictions are at, at the risk of both of us being the people who don't sign the Beatles <laughs> god don't say that <laughs> like is is there a future for because I think the, the, you can see you can see what the technology is trying to do and you can see why you should have it in front of me really but that original I suppose essay or that original piece of research that was what was launched that led to bitcoin and it was it was that democratization of money it was taking back control and as you said there are countries where 
this technology would be a game changer. So allowing the old yeah. banks to have access to bank accounts at the risk of, I suppose, your, your, your crystal ball being cloudy. Where do you see it going? And then I might ask you, where would you like to see it go? Maybe two questions. Where do you see it going and where would you yeah. like to see it go? I think first I have to acknowledge my positionality again is I'm not a Web3 expert. I'm a, I'm a researcher and I've got a background in data science. So I look at this from a, I guess, someone in the real world who's clued up on the technology mm. and has an idea of what it's capable of. So for me, it absolutely has a future. And I, I, I'm a true believer in the fundamental ideas of um, democracy through code and giving trust and agency back to people and you know we're very, as I said we're very lucky to be both of us situated in places where we can trust the banks but that's not always the case and you know anything that can help in those situations is positive but right now I do see the industry is being held back by these people who take advantage of those who don't fully understand the technology and see an opportunity to make a lot of money and profit from that. So in the future, it's really hard for me to say, and whatever I say will upset someone. So <laughs> I think it's probably best just to say I'm a I'm a optimist for the tech, but I think we need to iron out some of the implementation issues. Um, and especially in the cases of NFTs, like, I think they could be so powerful. And there's this talk of the metaverse, which mm. uh, no one no one knows what that is, um, but you know, effectively, we're going to move into an even more online world. And the metaverse is kind of like a, a game, a game world where you can walk around and it's like digital places and locations. And yeah, in a world like that, it's important to have proof of ownership of digital stuff because there's going to be money in it and there's going to be real people with real stakes. So, yeah, NFTs can play a role there. And that's what lots of people like to talk about. But it's, you know, we at the moment, we're very stuck in our ways with people capitalizing on people who don't really understand it fully and also I think probably the culture of the industry needs to change a little bit to be a bit more educational and a bit more welcoming and to bring it back to the regulation conversation it's very hard to regulate something that you don't understand or that isn't being explained to you well so step one for everyone would be just to just to clarify what these things are and, you know, just have like a maybe even a public repository where we can just see, you know, what what our government stance is on them. Uh, I know this exists like in the UK, this exists, and I think that probably exists in the US. But let's just understand together what, what you know, what the common understanding of, of these things are in layman's terms. And then, you know, hopefully that helps people to regulate, but that also helps users to understand, you know, have, have red flags when they're involved in something that seems a bit off or just understand what they're buying. So, yeah, very hard to comment on the long-term future, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. Again, huge thanks to Sarah for her time and expertise. I know I particularly enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. And if you have any ideas for conversations you'd like us to have, topics you'd like us to cover, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie. Until next time, take care.